We are still having dinner with Jesus as we are journeying through the Gospel of John in John chapter 14, where we last left off in this passage. Uh, Jesus was having dinner with his disciples. He has had the Last Supper, which institutes the Lord's Supper for us. He has taken his outer garment off and he has washed his disciples' feet. He has told them that one of them would betray them. He told Peter that Peter would deny them. And so you can imagine the tension that is currently present in this room. Jesus says to them, and he says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And this is how the conversation continues. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me in prayer. Father, we do ask that you would teach us by your word, that you would open our hearts by your spirit to know you and to know the hope that is found in you and found only in you. And we ask that you would do this for the honor of your name. Amen. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is one of the most Famous Bible verses, certainly for church-going Christians. It's a verse that is used quite frequently to discuss the exclusive claims of Christianity. And it is something that certainly has applicability to those that are not Christians and applicability to, is Jesus really the only way to God and what does that mean? At the same time, this verse is also one of the most misapplied verses in the Gospel of John. Because when Jesus gives this truth, he gives us this truth as a needed truth, as something that is necessary to know for those who are the most committed followers of Jesus. He gives it to his disciples in the midst of their distress. He begins by saying to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, why would their hearts be troubled? Well, he just told them that he is about to leave them. He told them that where he is going, they can't come. He has shared with them that one of them is going to betray him. Jesus has been speaking about his own death. All of the disciples whom Jesus is speaking to will themselves face a gruesome death. And he had just spoken that the apostle Peter was going to have his hand stretched out. And church history would tell us that he would eventually be crucified upside down. Jesus is speaking to them. And he knows that others of them are going to be skewered through and roasted over a fire. Others are going to be dipped in boiling tar and in boiling oil. Others of them are going to be burned at the stake. Others of them are going to be sawn in two. And to this group of disciples who are gathered together, in the midst of this conversation, he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Whatever he is about to say next, like, better be really good. Because it seems that there's a lot of reasons for them to be troubled. 
This word for troubled, Jesus uses a couple of verses earlier in verse 21 of chapter 13, and he says, he says in that verse, he says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he said to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. So to be troubled is to be disturbed, to be shaken, to be unsettled, uh, to be anxious about the future. And this is the group of disciples that he is speaking to. And some of you are gathered here today, this morning, because you are troubled. Because you are disturbed by things that have happened in your life. You are shaken. You are unsettled. You are anxious about what is to come. And if that's not the position that you are in today, you will be. There will be a day coming where that will be true for you. And so to those who are troubled, those who are about to be troubled... Jesus gives them this encouragement, and he says to them that he has prepared a place for you. Verse 1 and 2, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go, that I go to prepare a place for you? That Jesus is preparing a place in his Father's house for you. That there is a place for you to go. That there is a home that he is making for you to come to. What is a home? Well, it's a place where you belong. It should be a place where you are totally accepted. A home is a place where you can, you know, be yourself. Where you can walk around in your pajamas all day not having to do your hair. Because you're not concerned about what other people think. It's a place where there's relationships that endure and forgiveness. It's a place that when you show up, people are glad to see you. And the overriding emotion that you have is, I, I belong here. These are my people. This is, I, like, I fit in here. I just feel that this is right to be here. A home is a place that every mother and every grandmother hopes to create so that they have created this home that their kids and their kids are grown and their grandkids will come running back and say, I love being there because that is what I know to be home. Now, for some of you, the idea of home is completely disturbing because of the homes that you were raised in. And what Jesus would reveal and what this home is is that everything that your home was not, everything that you thought that your home should be, Everything that you long for your home to be, that is the place and more that Jesus is preparing for you. And God has put within each one of us a desire and a longing to be at home with him. The Germans actually have a word for this. It's a word that means to be homesick for a place that you have never been to. It's not just that you are, there's a place that you want to go or a place that you want to visit, but to actually be homesick for a place that you have never been, this deep sense of feeling that there is a place that I belong to, there is a place where I am accepted, even though I have never been there, I know that there is that place for me, and that is a place that I want to go to. The German word for this, according to Google Translator, is pronounced Fernweh. Say it with me. Fernweh. Say it with like German gusto. Fernweh. Right? Being homesick for a place where you have never been. And God has placed fanve in each of us in longing for an eternal home. What this means is that means that there is hope for Southern Marylanders. It means that there is a home that you have 
and you will never have to move again. It means that there is a home that you have where you will have friends that aren't going to move away every two years. It means that you have relationships that endure, that relationships that you have poured your life into, that those relationships are going to continue and those people aren't going to disappear and move away. It means for those of you that move a lot, it means that you no longer have a fragmented existence where part of your life is spent in Southern California and part of your life is spent on the other side of the globe and part of your heart is another portion of the country and part of your heart is scattered all across the globe and all across the world. It means there's hope. That the longing that you have for feeling unsettled is saying that there is a place that Jesus Christ is making for you. When Adam and Eve, when God created the world with Adam and Eve, and they turned away from God to live for themselves, one of the first consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, one of the first consequences of the curse, was that they had to move. And if you've ever moved, you understand why this is a particular curse that gets experienced in our lives, right? But Jesus makes clear that this sense of moving and the transience is going to be normal until he returns. When Jesus commissions his disciples and sends them out, he says, Go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That first phrase there, go, go and make disciples, that first phrase there, go, is the same, the participle, it's the same verb form as baptizing and teaching. So it could be translated as going. The expectation is that you will live a life of going, a life of transience, a life of movement. Going, make my disciples. Make disciples. For you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will have a life where the norm will be on the move. And as you do this, go and make disciples. Why do people move? Well... People move because their job moved them. Why do we follow it? Because the place that you get moved to or decide to move to to take a job is a place where you're able to provide for yourselves. My grandparents immigrated from Sweden to America. Why? Because they wanted a better life for themselves and to provide a better life for their children. So they moved across an ocean. In God's house, in the room that he has prepared for you, your provision is secure. You don't need to move to get a job because your provision is secure. Some of you move in order to defend our country. Well, in your father's house, wars will be no more. Peace will be on the earth. Gates will be left open. Doors will be unlocked. Some people move because they want to move to another place, just simply to a better place. Well, there is no place to better to be than in your father's house. Others move because of violence. If you look at the mass migrations in our world right now from the refugee crisis, the people fleeing from corrupt governments, from wars and natural disasters, from terrorists and cartels that have more money than the governments of the countries in which they operate, is that they will be no more for in God's house and the place that he is preparing, there will be justice and you will dwell secure. For some of you, for some people, they move because of sickness and disease. And so they move to move to a nursing home. They move to a hospital. They move to get closer to family that can take care of them. But in God's house, in the place that he is preparing for you, there is no more sickness, 
No more crying, no more pain. And if there was a tear that would come from your eye, God himself would step down from the throne with a handkerchief in his hand and he would wipe away every tear from your eye. Be filled with hope because Jesus has prepared a place for you. It is a little bit puzzling. Indeed, it was puzzling to the disciples. For Thomas was interested in this place, but he didn't know how to get there, as he said. So Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And he explains the truth is that we don't actually know the destination. And Jesus' response to Thomas is, yeah, it's true. You don't know the destination. You don't know the destination. Indeed, you can't know the destination because you've never been there. Now, when I was a kid, when we would take family road trips, my parents would get these things called triptychs. They're in museums now. And what a triptych was is that you would get these and you would say where you wanted to go and then AAA would make these little booklets and they would lay out your route turn by turn. And so if you were going to make a turn right onto an interstate, there would be a picture of that and it would show that you would exit right and then your navigator would, would, would flip the page so that you could then follow the road on it. So it was kind of like a GPS except you never knew what page you were on in the book, particularly if somebody dropped it, right? Well, the only reason why you could have a triptych, the only reason why you could have a route to the destination is because someone has gone to that destination and had come back. You say, well, wait a second. No, they just looked at a map. Well, why do you have a map? You have a map because someone had gone to that destination and they detailed what is the route and the way to get to that destination, having gone and come back. Even your GPS and, and Google Maps, which drives through our neighborhoods and takes pictures of us all and sends it off to foreign adversaries. Even Google Maps, the reason why your GPS works and your GPS can give you directions is because there is someone who has gone to the destination and they have come back. Now, when explorers set out, Explorers, what makes them explorers is that explorers know not the destination and they know not the route. They're exploring. They're trying to just figure out what's out there. And so Thomas says to Jesus a very logical question. How can we know the way if we don't know the destination? And Jesus says, it's true. You don't know the destination. And the only way that you can know the destination is by knowing the one who came from the destination has lived this journey, is returning to the destination, which Jesus does through his life on this earth where he enters into our misery, into our suffering, through the death on the cross where he takes our punishment, where he goes to death itself, and he rises victorious from the grave, and he returned to the destination, and then he is coming back to gather us again. That's what Jesus says in verse 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He is the one who came from the destination, who has gone on the journey, is going there, and will come back and get us. In the New Testament, there are over 300 references to Jesus saying that he, is taking, that he will be taking us to be with him personally. True, we don't know the destination. Indeed, we can't know the destination. First Corinthians would say this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, 
nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That the destination that God is taking you to, that Jesus is leading us to, you can't even conceive of how wonderful it truly is. And the nature of the Christian life and the natures of those that have followed the Lord throughout Scripture and throughout our lives are people who live their lives living for a destination, homesick for a destination that they have never been. Hebrews gives an example. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all, Abraham and the others, died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Fernve. And if they had been thinking about that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. That if people were thinking about the land that they grew up and they were homesick for the place that they wanted to return to, Scripture says they could have gone back there. They could have done it. But, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What Scripture lays out is that those who have lived by faith, seeking God, lives their life homesick for a destination to which they have never been. Now, how is this truth that Jesus provides, how is this truth encouragement to troubled hearts? How is this truth encouragement to followers of Jesus who are deeply distressed? It's an encouragement to us that is expressed in the cries of our souls. I'm going to read two beautiful passages. The first one was by Paul Tripp from a devotional early this month. This is what Tripp says. We all do it because the longing has been hardwired into us by God. We all try to turn this present world into the paradise we dream of. Why do we all attempt this impossible task? Because deep in the heart of every human being who has ever lived has been the longing for paradise. Somehow, some way, we all desire for the things to be the way the Creator intended them to be. We're all dissatisfied with the world the way it is, each in our own way. We all feel the pain of living in a world gone bad. We all careen from disappointment to disappointment because reality never seems to rise to the level of our dreams. We all face things in our lives that we wish we could change. We all examine things and hope that somehow they will get better. Each of us tries to turn this moment into the paradise it will never be. And each of us faces the frustration that results from our failed attempts. He continues. The cry of an infant who is dealing with a pain he doesn't understand is a cry for paradise. 
the tears of a little boy who has been mocked on the playground are tears for paradise. The anger of a teenager whose iPad has been stolen is a cry for paradise. The frustration of a young professional with a boss who never seems to be satisfied is a cry for paradise. The grief of a young wife who misses her estranged husband is a cry for paradise. The grumpiness of an old man whose body doesn't work as it once did is a cry for paradise. We all groan, and those groanings are cries for a better world. How is it an encouragement? Because the aches that you feel, the cries that you feel in your heart that you have, they are not the end, but they are indicators that there is an eternal destination. They are indicators that there is a place that Jesus is preparing for you where the pains and the cries will be no more because he has prepared a home in which you will be blessed. And so it encourages our troubled hearts in the midst of the deep cries that our hearts and our souls have. But it also encourages our troubled hearts for the desires that we have in our life. C.S. Lewis writes, he says, The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, that no matter how many experiences that you have, no matter how great they are, no matter how diverse they are, no matter what level that you have achieved, that there is still within you this gnawing, nagging, aching, that there has got to be something else, and there has got to be more, Lewis writes, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, consider his logic, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Fanve. The most probable explanation is that I am homesick for a destination to which I have not yet been. So he continues, and he says this, If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, That does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, to never mistake these earthly blessings for the something else of which they are only a copy or an echo Or a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. Fernweh. 
I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do, us, do the same. God has put within each one of us a longing, a deep longing for his eternal home, for this place that Jesus has and is preparing for us, a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy. And the pleasures of this life and the good gifts that God gives to us were never meant to provide that satisfaction only to arouse an interest and a desire for that which is to come. So what it means for us is to realize that the satisfaction that you long for will not be fully experienced in this life. So stop looking for it from the things in this life. But instead, celebrate the good gifts that God gives to you, which he gives to you in anticipation of the place that he has prepared for you, which he gives to you to be signposts and milestones and markers to encourage you on the path that there is a destination ahead that he has made for you. Jesus has prepared a place. No, we don't know that destination, but it is ahead of us. Now, let me shift gears for a moment and mention that as an aside, well, let's talk of heaven, this place that Jesus has prepared for some distant future when life will be better and things and problems and all my problems in life will go away. When I was a young Christian, it really annoyed me. And the reason why it annoyed me, because it seemed like it was an excuse for Christians to wait around and to not do anything. And it seemed like it was an excuse for Christians just to disengage. And indeed, there are some theologies that would say that the world is just going to completely getting destroyed. Everything's going to be completely taken away, that this world doesn't matter. And so, why do we need to be engaged in any of these particular things? And so, I saw it as an excuse for Christians not to engage the world around them. But in understanding this more deeply, the opposite is actually true. Is that knowing your destination gives you profound motivation for living in this present moment. Consider the converse. If this world, as some philosophers and scientists would like to say, if all this world is, is just an accident, if there is no future, if everything is just going to completely and totally disappear, if the sun's going to burn out, and then it'll be nothing for years and years and millennia and millennia, if your existence is just a blip that's going to completely and utterly disappear, then nothing matters. Morality doesn't matter. Suffering doesn't matter. Social justice does not matter. Your family doesn't matter. You may say, well, okay, maybe, it's, maybe it is pointless, but... Even if it is pointless, well, we need to live to have a better life for other people and make life better for others. Why? It's not going to endure. As soon as they're gone, it is as if it, it, is as if it never existed. That those experiences never even occurred. There is nothing. It does not matter. However, if there is a destination, and if we are surely moving to that destination then the journey matters. Then the journey that you live matters, and it matters who you live it with and how you conduct yourself on that journey because you are moving to a place and to an eternal home. 
And it matters if you engage on the path that Jesus calls us to, to know him and to live for him because there is a sure destination that you are moving towards. Now this whole truth was something that Thomas himself was a bit confused by. And so he was confused. How can we know the way if we don't know the destination? Jesus tells them that they're preparing a place and that it's true that they don't know the destination. But Jesus says to them, okay, you don't know the destination to his disciples, but you actually do know the way. You actually do know the way. Thomas, he interacts with Thomas. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus' response is, how do you get to this destination? This truth which comforts your troubled hearts. Now, most of the time when Jesus is interacting with his disciples, the way that he interacts with them is the disciples say, we know stuff, and Jesus says to them, you don't know stuff. And in this situation, Thomas says, Jesus, we don't know stuff. And Jesus says, no, actually, you do know stuff. It's this incredible reversal. And Jesus says to them, you think you don't know the answer. You think you don't have the answer, but you do. And you know the way to the destination. And you know that you will get there because I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, says, doesn't, Jesus does not simply say that he points to the way, that he explains truth, that he talks about how you can have life. If that's what Jesus was, then he would be like other religious teachers. I mean, the Buddha laid out the eightfold path. Every year, millions of people travel to Mecca because someone told them that this was the path, the way that they needed to be on. And if Jesus was just simply saying, hey, there's the way over there, you know, go figure it out for yourself, you can do it, it really wouldn't be controversial at all because it would be just like everybody else. But Jesus is not like everybody else. For what he says is he doesn't say, I point to the way, I reveal the way. He says, I am the way. It's me. I am the truth. I am the life. To know the way is to know me. To know truth is to know me. To know life, to have life, is to know and to have me. So many beautiful reflections on this. Thomas Akempis wrote, Follow thou me, which is follow you, me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. 
I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, life uncreated. So to his most trusted disciples, to his followers who are the most educated in biblical truth, to his followers who are the most faithful, Jesus knows that there are days that will come along when your hearts will be troubled, when your hearts will be distraught. And in the midst of that trouble, he exhorts you like he exhorted them, let not your hearts be troubled, for I have prepared a place for you. The destination you know not, but you know the way, for you know me, for I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm going to end with one final reflection. It's from Rich Mullins, who, singer-songwriter who wrote a lot about the struggles of following Jesus in the journey of life. And in one of his songs, he writes, as the song goes, he says, So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that has borne in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. Jesus has prepared a place for you, for he is the way and the truth and the life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you left your throne in heaven and you entered into the darkness of this world so that we would be set free, so that we would be set free from groping in the dark, that we would be set free from trying to find satisfaction in the things of this world that cannot, get, cannot bring satisfaction. That you would set us free. Lord, you came that you would set us free so that the good gifts that you have given, the joys, the blessings, the pleasures of this life, that we would know that they are given to us not as an end in themselves, not as the destination, but merely as milestones and signposts pointing us and inspiring us and compelling us to long for the home that you have made for us. Jesus, you have put within us a desire for the place that you have made. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would increase our homesickness for this destination that we have not seen, but that you have prepared and that you lead us to, for you are the way and the truth and the life. So it is through you, Lord Jesus, the one who came to earth, who returned to the destination, and will come back again that we pray. Amen.